0: Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Shijo sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a 1 to 2 year contract-to-hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Jennifer Henderson, the Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation for Consumer Lending Technology at PNC. Jen formerly held the position of Senior Manager of Retail and Direct Technology at Capital One, Regional Director of Technology for Possible, WPP, and was the Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder of Rovion and Valley Info Systems. She has a long history supporting women in technology and LGBTQ plus causes. She was a member of GLSEN Cincinnati, AIDS Volunteers of Cincinnati, the career development lead for the Chicago chapter of Women Who Code and chaired the trans queer plus subcommittee of Outfront Capital One's LGBTQ plus business resource group. Jen currently serves on the board of directors for Out and Equal Workplace Associates. As an advocate for LGBTQ plus rights and for her work on transgender policies at WPP, she was named Grand Marshal of the 2016 Cincinnati Pride Parade and was honored as Out and Equal's 2018 Outie Champion of the Year Award. Jen, what an introduction. How are you today? <laughs> That's quite a list, huh? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Super excited to be with you. It's, uh, I, I love um, going through every person I get to host. It's like, so exciting to read their bio and see their history. And uh, yeah, this one's awesome. You've done so much with so many different organizations. How did you even find the time?
1: Well, especially for somebody who's only 22 years old, you know, I squeezed in a lot.
0: Yeah. That's a joke. (laughs) I was like, Jen, you you can pull on my leg. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Let's just say I'm uh, closer to my retirement than the beginning of my career. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, I've been doing, um, I've been interacting with the LGBT uh, community for now. Oh gosh, it's got to be 22, 23 years. Um, And uh, you know, very early on, I, I saw the, the power and the, and the need for doing charitable things in our community. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine, but um, even, you know, 20 years ago, it was, it was very different. It was very different as far as the support that our community needed, um, as far as, um, you know, we were still in the middle of the AIDS crisis at that point. Um, transgender issues weren't even talked about. Um, and, uh, you know, we were before a lot of equal rights and you still had, you know, laws on the books against just even being gay. So, you know, and then you fast forward 10, 15 years and all of a sudden, you know, it's uh, you've got kids that are coming out um, to the, who their true selves are at the ages of 11 and 12 and being, you know being embraced by their schools and their, their families. And so it's a completely different situation now.
0: Yeah, it's totally different, and the, these organizations, in their various ways, they're doing so much for people in society to increase inclusion and that sense mm-hmm. of belonging, and also to share education, to not just for the folks that need it within the groups, it's also so that society as a whole can be better and, and more inclusive to make sure that people have the opportunities they deserve, the career paths they deserve, and even just to feel like they can be them, their full selves.
1: Correct, Absolutely.
0: So that's, I just think it's awesome. And one of the ones I really liked was the, the, the Grand Marshal of the Cincinnati Pride. That's cool. <laughs> what was that experience like? Oh, well, it was... So I'll
1: tell a quick story here. Um, So the grand marshals were in the, so there was, I was a co-grand marshal with somebody else that was a uh, openly gay mayor of one of the cities around Cincinnati, he was my co-grand marshal. And so we're in the front um, and I'm on this giant pickup truck, I'm standing in this pickup truck and we're going and we're going. And this was just soon after the Pulse massacre. And so what happened was, uh, there was a large police presence um, to make sure that everybody was going to be safe because we were worried about that. Um, and so there's, there was a little, little, little tension, not just being in th- this crowd, but wondering, you know, could, some, could somebody do something really bad? So we, uh, we went through the entire parade route, and we got down to close to where the parade route was supposed to end, and the parade stopped. And we sat there for 10 minutes. And I was like, what is going on? And of course, all the worst thoughts are going through my head now. You're panicking at this point. Yeah, I'm panicking at this point. And then we started up. And so once the parade was over, I was like, what what was that? What was going on? And it was because they were releasing 51. dove balloons to represent the 51 lives that were lost I believe it was 51 I might be incorrect on that one Uh, but the the lives that were lost at the Pulse um, nightclub and so it was for a very very good reason but I will say uh, it was a little bit scary but um, otherwise it was it was a wonderful day it was it was a lot of fun it was uh, a lot of my friends are in Cincinnati Um, I lived there almost 20 years and so it was it was it was a really great day.
0: Nice, nice. Well, yeah. Obviously, that part doesn't sound the best bit of the day, but in general, I'm sure the experience of being a grand marshal and be having that that key role in the in the parade as well. So, you're you're someone that anything you've done in your in or out of work, you're clearly a leader, it seems that you've found your way to always um, taking responsibility, accountability, supporting folks around you. um, And just yeah, essentially being at the front and making sure everyone else can can come forward and follow your, your journey, whether that's in technology or outside of work. So you've got to this point, you're a senior vice president at a a, a bank, and and it's a decent sized Mm -hmm. one as well. Uh, I think we're up
1: to 60 or 70. Actually, we're now um, so we um, PNC um, last year, purchased uh, BBVA's US assets. And so we're now a nationwide bank, we were not in California or tech, well, we were a little bit in Texas, but we weren't in California and a couple other places. And in fact, we're about ready to close that where all the BBVA folks become PNC folks. So we're now um, domestically, we're the fifth largest bank. So, um, and everybody above us is really big and everybody behind us is significantly
0: smaller. So we're in a very unique position. Interesting. So, so how then have you got to this point that you're taking on tech strategy and innovation? What, what were some of the steps throughout your career that have got you to where you are today? Sure. So
1: for tech strategy and innovation, there's a couple of different things. One, um, you have to, I read constantly. I mean, I, I, I've got blogs that I read. I've got newsletters that come to me. Um, I use Gartner and several other professional resources to keep a tab on what's going on. So we kind of know what the community, even outside of banking and technology in the direction that they're moving. So I have to align um, our decisions kind of with that flow because otherwise it's really hard to hire people um, and you can get out of sync with, with you know, uh, modern computer science and all that kind of stuff. So there's a a lot of that work there. And then on the innovation side is actually comes from, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurial work that I did earlier in my career, because Innovation for us is not just tinkering with a new toy or something like that. It's actually saying, okay, we've got an idea for a new financial product. We want to get it out and into the market as quickly as possible. So we do what's called an MVP. We say, what's the bare minimum thing that we can do to find out if this is something people would want to buy or use, or should we kill it now, because the worst thing you can do is fall in love with something, overbuild it, and then find out nobody wants it. And you've spent all that money. So it's, it's, we call it fail fast. And so those are the two sort of sides of, of my role. And I have kind of always had that. And what I saw was as I was coming up in the industry is that the true leaders in technology that could succeed had essentially a three-legged stool. And so I tried really hard to have that as well. And that's uh, people leadership. Without people, we can't do anything. So that's you know recruiting and retention and making sure everybody is happy and healthy working for our company and that type of thing. Um, it's the technology itself. I need to be able to look at a technology solution, know what we can and can't do, and and, and, influence our our teams to go in the right direction technology-wise. And then it's process, which for me is agile, which means that delivering value as quickly as possible, and then iterating and and making it better and better over time. So with those three aspects that I've worked really hard on, and sometimes I've had jobs where I was only doing one of them, you know, making sure I'm good at all three, I'm not sure if I'm equally good at all three, but trying to be equally good at all three puts me in a position now as an SVP, where I can have influence over that with my teams. And I can now not just talk about one thing, but I can actually talk about how those things interleave with each other. And and they absolutely do. And so that's why it's really important for me to have those
0: skill sets. I imagine your your time as a, uh, a chief technology officer and co-founder of, of multiple startups yes. has really helped with, uh, with being in this kind of role where you're talking about failing fast, uh, operating in an agile way, um, and almost incubating or accelerating ideas mm-hmm. in technology, spinning them up really quickly for a user, and if they're not the right thing, spin back down, start the next one, learn from it, move forward. So how how does that kind of play its role in your your current?
1: Well, luckily with Rovion, we were part of an incubator. I believe there were 11 or 12 other companies that came out of the same incubator. And what was nice about working in that incubator was that you could sit down with other small little companies that were three, four people and say, what are you doing? And, you know, let me help you decide about this technology? Or have you considered this? Or we are hearing from our customers X, what are your customers saying about this? And that kind of thing. So being in that incubator environment really, really helped an, an early startup. And I kind of miss that, honestly, a little bit. But I've got more than enough projects <laughs> to, to do here. Yeah, I'm, we're very, very busy. And we've got even more to do. We've got a um, you know challenges that are being put in front of us now that we're the fifth largest bank. So um, I'm really happy to take all these ideas that people have had in their heads and go, could we, could we do that? Could we do it inexpensively? Could we get it out to market? And then obviously being in banking, fintechs are there. And so there's a lot of concern around, um, You know, will these, will these small little agile companies, will they start taking revenue from us? Will they start taking away customers from us? Um, luckily, at least in the States, um, it's a highly regulated industry, um, and so it, there's table stakes as far as what you can do in banking. You have to have first, second, and third lines of defense. You have to have auditors. You have to have a relationship with uh, with our government partners. So it's not as easy to break into finance as just write an app, get it up on the app store, and and start you know doing my you know my own Gen Zone own bank. <laughs>
0: So I I I look into this quite a lot because I find it fascinating the way um, small, uh, very nimble companies can can form. I, I also work at a startup, so you know that's that's just standard for to have that interest. But it's um it's like you're saying that there is natural defensibility through having um, the the positioning and regulation that banks already have but i do understand there is a natural threat of the the highly innovative companies that can they might not take your whole stake right they're not going to maybe make it mm-hmm. to the fifth largest company but they may find a way to um get customers that use a certain part of what pnc does and and being a i think it's 176 years old pnc which is yeah. you know that that's that's not a, it's not a spring chicken right so the, which is <laughs> amazing there's a lot of history which is great it means that there's it's built there's there's deep-rooted culture there's probably families that have used PNC for years and years and generations, Um, but then being able to to break free of some of the cultural, um, which can be cultural problems at times, like we've done things Mm -hmm. this way for so long, why should we change? So the cultural adoption, the transformation, the modernization, uh, some of the things you've mentioned that you're doing, but they still have challenges and getting people to adopt those. So I imagine there's probably things like lots of hiring of new folks and, and people who've been elsewhere in different industry. like you've even said, had been in startups, have been at the likes of Capital One. That's a really, really innovative bank and tries to think of itself as a technology company. And then I guess PNC tries to work and adapt to fit into those things as well. Correct. And that's the thing is, so
1: you look at different brands and, you know, 176 year old PNC, their brand is all around trust. You can trust us with your money. You can trust us with your financial life. And so we're very customer focused and we're focused on continuing to have that trust with you. So everything that we do then as far as product offerings have to somehow reflect that brand of trust. And so when we're looking at new products, We not only go, you know, what does this mean to our bottom line? What does this mean as far as competitive with other companies? But also, does it does it enhance our trust that a customer might have with us, or does it detract from it in some way? And I think, um, like, we just created a new product called Low Cash Mode, where we can tell how money tends to flow in and out of your checking account, and we can do things proactively for you to make sure you don't have any overdraft fees. And that's been a wonderfully accepted product into the market right now. And we're doing some advertising online and, and soon it'll be in uh, television commercials as well. So in fact, I think the TV commercials are out, um, but it's, it's, in, it's enhancing the idea that you can trust us. And so part of that also is then when I look at diversity and inclusion, we need to make sure that the folks in our product and our technology, the entire bank represent in some way the same communities that we're serving. And so that we can go for, in, you know, in this community, trust means this. In this community, it's a little different. Trust means this. And so therefore, when we all sit around the table and we're talking about something, we can say, well, for my community, this is how you would increase that trust. This is how you would move the brand forward. Whereas if it's just a, you know, a small insular group of people, they don't have the multifaceted elements of what you need to really, um, you know, give what's needed to the
0: entire community that we serve. This is it. That's exactly what it is. I talk about this all the time. It isn't even if you believe in the the caring aspect or the making people feel okay or feel included. The minimum is that we can't produce the right products or services for society without including the people from that community and society who to build them. We just don't right. know what everyone needs. We're, we're guessing, we're hoping we can figure out that, okay, our group will serve this group. We need diversity in our teams. That we're, we already know it's higher performing and in the exact instance you're talking about, building that true trust with every person in every community, you have to have people representing you in society. So on on that same note, how do you go about in making sure that you could, I guess, firstly, how do you find diverse hires? We're working in technology where there's already such a large yeah. underrepresentation. And it's like my whole business focuses on this, my whole podcast does as well. Correct. So I, I'd love to know how how you're going about that.
1: So there's a few ways. Um, one is our pipelines out of the co- out of college. Um, uh, we're getting more, and I know the industry is, but we're getting more and more aggressive around how early we reach out to somebody um, at college. So w- where we would normally reach out maybe their junior year because they're either close to graduation, now we're reaching out to them their freshman year. Um, We're even, even, you know, in some ways, through some of the charitable aspects we do, we are even talking to people in high school and and getting them interested for working for a company like us. Um, They they also, you know, we're looking at what are called stars, um, and that's um, skills through alternative um, routes. And those are people who have skills, and many of them have the computer skills that we need, but don't have a traditional four-year degree. And I'm not putting down four-year degrees at all. But if you've got, if you were worked hard enough, and you were blessed to have the finances and the wherewithal to actually go to four years of school, you you know, college rounds you. College gives you background and history, and and, and college is a wonderful thing. But at the same time, I need software developers, and I need people who can do their job. And so when I start looking at like stars, um, you know, I'm starting to look at like. populations like you know uh, uh, the African- American population or the Latina population or the rural American population you know if you're not if you're always saying you need a four-year degree to work for me I'm the percent of African Americans don't have a degree 79 of, of Latinx don't have a degree and you know I think 73 of uh, rural Americans don't have a degree, degree and the worst part is honestly two-thirds of American veterans, don't have a degree. So there's all these capable people, smart people who want to learn, who want to have a, a career and technology is a wonderful career for people who are curious and want to work with other people. Um, and you don't need any specific physical skills to do it. It's You just need to be able to be curious and, 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 and have fun with the technology. There's all these people that are untapped right now because of our bar that we've put in place saying, you must have this four-year degree. Um, so that's one place that we're looking right now. Um, the other things is that um, to get those diverse clients you've got to look where people aren't looking. So we can't just go well we all not only do we want a four-year degree but we want only from these top 20 schools. Um, trust me i've I've recruited on those campuses and Google and Facebook and every cool company that you can think of are also recruiting at the exact same time. so I've been lucky enough that people, meet me. I speak at like uh, women in computing uh, uh, clubs and those kind of things. And because they saw me and heard me, then they want to come work for us. But I've also talked to them and they're like, I just got this amazing Facebook uh, offer. I've got to take it or Google and I've, I've got to take it. And And I understand. I absolutely understand. But so we need to go to those places where our competitors for that same talent aren't.
0: I couldn't agree more with every single thing you just mentioned. It, it aligns so much with the exact ways that I approach finding talent and also try to find talent for the companies that we work with at Strategio. So I, I always mention that from our side, we start with a um, we start with degree requirements because essentially it shortlists people and it lets our customers know that we have a certain minimum standard. But actually, I, I really want customers that don't need that. And not because I'm trying to make it easier for people to just, oh, we'll have anybody. I'm like, you could be an amazing technologist. You don't have to have a degree. And like you said, financially, it's not everyone can do that. Or even if you're a first-generation um, Scott College student in your family, you may not have had the advice or the guidance to go and do that. On top of that, we're saying we want diversity. And then But most companies that say they want this are literally not willing to have any flexibility with how they go about doing it. It's like we looked and we tried, it didn't work. Okay, we're back to the same way we were. But actually, while I'm saying that, I do realize that almost by the day and by the week at the moment, I am seeing more and more leaders different companies saying, yeah, we're changing the way we do things. We've realized that the four-year degree will not find what we need. We have to look earlier. We have to look in non-traditional backgrounds. We have to look at veterans. We have to look at women returning to work. And we have to look all across the country outside of where we're based. So when you said that, I think I 100% agree. It's still, we have to look for aptitude. We have to find certain skills that people have. And also we have to be very open to to training and upskilling and understanding that we're building the workforce for, for t- today and for tomorrow. And that means it's some investment. And if we do this the right way, especially with young folks coming into work, working force now, to the workforce now, it actually allows them to buy into what we're doing. We've given this chance. We've changed the way we do things. And, and now we're growing our team. So yeah, I, I really like the, the way you're looking at it and being so open to different backgrounds as well.
1: Well, and it's interesting because Leanne Pitford, who's the founder of Lesbians Who Tech, what, um, did a presentation a few years ago where she was talking about how diversity training and um, anti-bias training weren't working. And essentially, she said, you know, if you want to, if you want more women in technology, the only answer is to hire more women in technology. Period. That's the only thing that'll that'll change the needle. And so then, when I'm looking at, I would rather hire. And this is the thing: is uh, no matter what company that you're in. They're going to have the way that they do things, and so no matter who you bring in there's going to be a level of training that you have to give even for the most gifted technologist in my group or or whatever the other roles are so you have to already bake in a bit of training and if we cannot find the people out there that meet our criteria as far as what we want to hit as far as our diversity goals. And I'm not saying that we have to hit our exact goal on day one. You know, it's a process, we need to move forward and all that kind of stuff. Then you've got, if you can't find them, then you've got to make them. And so that's where I think a lot of larger companies, and you've seen this with Google in particular, have said, we're going to start making educational um, uh, uh, material out there and available. For anybody who wants it, and oh, by the way, once you're finished, make sure you look at our help wanted ads for Google. And I think you're going to see that a lot more. And what's really interesting is this is not a new idea. Uh, Procter & Gamble, the largest uh, uh, consumer packaged goods company in the world, during the 60s, 50s, 60s, and early 70s, quite often hired people that only had a high school degree and then for the first year and a half two years of their life at p&g they went to what they called p&g college or p&g academy where they taught them how to be a p&g person and that meant that, that meant everything from business models to writing skills to mathematics the whole nine yards and i will tell you if you and even today if you are a person who had has been lucky enough to work for p&g all you have to have is that on your resume and people want you because they know the quality of the people that came out of PNG and became, you know, there's so many CEOs um, and, and C level people, uh, especially in the United States, but around the world who are former PNG people. And so that's not a new model at all. And I think that we need to start embracing that.
0: And what what that does as well, it's not just that they're creating new talent net new talent didn't exist before in the industry didn't have that experience they've created that point 1 and the second point is they've also been able to get good quality work internally because they've invested in it and the third part is society and the wider community now know that png has done that so right. if you're thinking of from a trust perspective like you're talking about with with pnc you go about training people you find people from every background you show the 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 us um society that you're actually investing in everybody and you have this diverse team and in turn their families now want to work with you or to, they want to work with you or or, uh, or buy from you or you or or become a customer i should say and uh, and it just spreads like that so it, we're in a time now where the pressure is starting to step up you're right google are, are set outsourcing their training or sorry that google are, are sharing their training widespread for free Amazon are doing the same thing. I think Facebook have also started doing the same thing. So this is happening time and time again now. It's STEM training. Everyone's getting their opportunity. And uh, and then hiring. And so every day at the moment, I'm seeing on LinkedIn, another person from a diverse background has been hired in, in Google and Twitter and, and Netflix. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Like This is actually happening. It's not just an idea. Yep. And it's, it snowballs because... Like you said, where you're at an event and you're giving a great talk and you're you're just showing, hey, this is who I am, this is what I believe in. And then people are saying, I really like that person. I want to work with her. She's amazing. I like her mindset. And they all right. want to come to your team. And so if I have, and that'll help because women in technology see another woman in technology and think, I want to work with her. That's someone I mm-hmm. need to work with. Same thing with every background you could think of. If you have that representation, I think that's why it's so important and kind of the whole representation matters. It starts there. And then you get people who want to join you, and then guess what? They then help with inclusion, they help with equity, they help with advancement, and so on.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And the thing is, we are also widening what diversity means. So uh, traditionally, it would be um, uh, racial, your background um, from your from your family, but we also start looking at things like economic diversity. Are we are we bringing in people who? Um, you know, they were, they were below the poverty line growing up and now, um, are succeeding and want to bring their history of where their family was there, along with people who are doing, you know, came from a very, very wealthy family and were able to afford those good colleges or that additional schooling or, or whatever. Um, we're also looking at, you know, gender and sexuality, you know, it's not just hiring more women in tech, but I also, am looking at non-binary people, trans people, um, you know, uh, gay and lesbian people bringing them in because they have a different view on, you know, especially in finance, but they have a different view on what that community needs from a financial partner. So for instance, um, a lot of uh, like, uh, even though marriage is legal, for quite often, it can be difficult to set up your trusts and your your will and your other things for your partner. Um, uh, couples who are, are same sex or trans, um, need to, if they want to have a family, need to talk about, you know, the money and the expense around adoption or fertilization, um, all these kind of things are there that, A great deal of the rest of the population is not even thinking about. And just because they're a smaller portion of the population doesn't mean that their their trust in us is any less valuable. And so that's why it's so important to have all these different types of diversity um, uh, available to us so that we can talk to them and make sure our products are meeting the needs of all these diverse communities.
0: That's it. It's actually tying uh, in a healthy way the the importance of increasing representation for all people into a business need and understanding like th- this isn't something that we can brush over. This has to happen because right. in ter- th- those are such good real world examples. And, and the list of those I'm sure goes on and on in terms of a- each type of background, each community, what they might need and why it's important. So I just think that's, that's super interesting to hear about and understand. Um, and again, every time we get new experiences and new people on the podcast, it's so good to hear their insights so that they can share their sector, their company and how they go about it. So Jen, one one of the areas you're you're a part of is, uh, is Out and Equal, which supports mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus initiatives. So tell me a bit more about that and some of the initiatives that actually you're yeah you're able to yeah work we're
1: on. actually so I believe we're celebrating our twentieth anniversary if I remember right um, this year Out and Equal Workplace Associates is one of the largest um, uh, uh, LGBTQ organizations in the world. And it was started uh, 20 years ago uh, by the original founder, who um, unfortunately she had to decide between the job she loved and the person she loved. And um, I'm not going to tell her story, she can tell it herself. But essentially, after that happened, she decided to start Out and Equal. And so, Out and Equal. Uh, it tends to support fortune 2000 companies, the larger companies, um, where we bring together the best practices, um, around supporting the LGBTQ community worldwide. So we have normally, uh, 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 for the United States, we have, um, in fact, it's coming up at the beginning of October. We have our, our big, um, conference where we bring people together and different companies, uh, present, um, how they're supporting the LGBTQ community, um, best practices around HR, best practices around healthcare and, and insurance and all kinds of fun stuff, um, and just really you know energizing the support uh, for the LGBTQ community outside of the traditional quote-unquote Pride Month. On top of which, they're also doing uh, that same type of activities in South America, in Asia, in Europe, where you know, quite a few of the countries that they come into are not. Um, the governments are not supportive of LGBTQ people, and so you do have this um, support that they need because a lot of them are working for international companies where the company itself says, "We support you. We, we, your true self is is valuable to us, and we want to support you." But you're in an environment in this country where. You might not be supported by your by the, the community around you or the government there. So there's a lot of work that we do around advocacy. Um, and for me, I like it because um, there's there's people who concentrate on youth. There's people who concentrate on specific issues with with um, other members of our community. I look at it as, especially in the trans community, because if you're if you're a trans person you're like three times more likely to be living in poverty. Um, you are most likely um, and by percentage at some time in your life have been homeless. We are not a wealthy community. And that's a thing where like, you see like TV shows like Pose or, or, or other celebrities who, who happen to be trans and you go, wow, they're doing really well. The community in general though is not. And so for me, I look at, at political power in the United States in particularly. And political power in the United States is around, unfortunately, financial power. And so for a community that is pretty impoverished, it's hard for us to get our representation um, with our with our with our representatives. And so I feel that by Creating better environments with these amazing companies, these Fortune 500, Fortune 2000 companies, where they're embracing trans people and bringing them in and bringing them up and out of poverty is also going to then translate into legislation and just community support for these folks who are struggling. I mean, uh, it's unfortunate, but you know, once a year we have Day of Remembrance, and Day of Remembrance is around. Uh, trans people, mostly trans people, uh, women of color, um, who have been killed. And and, I mean, I mean, literally getting slaughtered. And, you know, it's not because uh, of a a, it's not because these people's lives were worth any less or that they're um, people who deserved what they got, quote unquote, it's people that, due to circumstances and due to the communities that they were in, quite often were not able to pull themselves out of, of uh, um, out of, out of uh, the circumstances that they were, and therefore um, bad things happen. And I, I, I as a person who um, was lucky enough to succeed after transition, um, look back and go, I need to give back as much as I can. And um, so that's what kind of motivates me in that area.
0: That that's so inspiring, Jen. I, I really appreciate you being so open and uh, and sharing your your story and also why you do what you do without an equal. Um, I can understand exactly where you're coming from in terms of they are the group is trying to go to the business world, trying to find direct support from companies that actually can offer that. And companies who maybe are, are in other countries, like you mentioned, that can't fully offer it through their, their wider politicians. So instead of just knocking on the door of politicians, we can find another route in, make sure people are supported and have resources they need all year round and not just during a, a one month period of time where we're celebrating a certain backgrounds. So right. that's, that's awesome to hear. And, uh, and it's also, it is a, sh- a shame that we still face such problems, like you mentioned, in terms of uh, transgender people still being at a much higher poverty rate and, uh, and the, the scenarios they face both with society and also with uh, the financial uh, instability that they also have as well. And honestly, and, and uh, I, I did, I'm stealing this from somebody else, um, if,
1: you want, if you want workers who are honest, who are courageous, who you know put their put everything into their work every day you you definitely should be hiring trans people because they had the ability to come out and say this is who I am and therefore I need to um I have the strength to do that I definitely have the strength to bring that to my to work as long as it's accepted by that work and supported
0: it's like I, I share it sometimes but my first, Uh, value in strategio is be unapologetically yourself. And that's just so important to me. And that's everything across every background you can think of, sexual orientation, through gender, through to race, ethnicity, culture, religion, whatever it is, I just want you to come to come to this, bring your full self. Because if if you can allow people to be their full self, you get innovation, you get confidence, you get challenging thoughts, you can compassionately disagree with each other. It's just be yourself. And then you're going to feel instead of attending all day, at work where you shouldn't have to do that. You should be able to be, be real instead of pretending and putting all that energy into something else. Why don't you put all that energy into the, the work tasks, the services, platforms, products that we're working on, and just focus on those and not worry about what people think because right. we and that's, want to be here So together. that's
1: one of the things that we look at is there's a concept called covering and covering is where, you know, quite often. Um, young people will go through college and they'll be out and they'll be active and they're, they're who they're, they are and then as soon as they get their first job, they look around at the people who have succeeded in this company and nobody looks like them or has the same experience like them so that they will they will instinctively cover um, if, you, if you're gay you won't talk about your partner you won't even talk about what you did last weekend, you, you, uh, you will hide those portions of yourself that you don't see reflected in the leadership Um, of that company. And so for us to try to pipeline these kids straight out of college into our companies, we need to make sure that they feel like they don't have to cover. And so representation is extremely important because otherwise that's that knee jerk reaction. And I will say as a person, um, you know, like I said, I've got 25 years um, in the community, um, in the LGBTQ community, uh, you know, I transitioned uh, seven years ago now. So that means that, you know, for a great deal of my life, this portion of myself in that community and what I was doing and what I felt about myself was something that I could not bring to work. And I'm not speaking for every trans person, but for me, it, it was like having a migraine headache all the time. And so then it was difficult for me as a leader to be empathetic, to, 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 I was short. I, I wanted to, you know, I just want to get the work done. You know, it, it, you, 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 when you're, when you're in pain constantly, it's really hard to be nice to people. And so what was funny was that that's then how my business partners would use me quite often, which is Jen go in there and bang their heads together, you know, straighten them up and scare them into doing what they're supposed to be doing. And now that I've transitioned, <laughs> I'm more often asked, hey, you know, this person or this team, they're having a rough time. Can you sit down and have a coffee with them and guide them and, and be a mentor? And that's completely different. Wow. Um, you know, it's completely wow. different. And and so I don't know if it's the way that people um, see me or it's I've actually changed that much. Um, and so, well, you know, I, I, I can say that, for both um, as a as a leader and as a parent, transitioning was the best thing that I did for my own health and the, the support of those around me that I love and care for.
0: Yeah, you can finally <laughs> breathe and be yourself. Right. You're not carrying, the, the, like you said, the migraine every single day. You're able to be yourself. Jen, wow, again, you're just consistently blowing me away with the, with your uh, honesty and, and transparency, so thank you. So um, we have hit one of my favorite parts oh. of, of the episode, which is the quick fire questions. So three quick fire questions. And number one is, uh, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing you tell your younger self on day one of their first job? Let's see, at uh, their first
1: job. So the number one thing that I would tell that person is, uh, <laughs> you know, wow, that, that was a 15-year-old version of me. That's that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> that the world is constantly changing, and you need to change with it. And so keep learning, and keep uh, and and make that part of what you do every day.
0: Number two, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? Mm. I would I, I would say empathy. It's, um,
1: I be, I truly believe in what's called servant leadership. I'm in a leadership position because I'm here to help you do the best you can. Um, you're not here to support me, that's, that's I'm one person. I'm here to make sure that the environment, the tools, the training, the everything that affects you as far as being your very best self, I need to fight, figure out a way to get that to you. And so therefore, that's what, that's what I look at because I've got to empathize with those folks that I'm, that I'm trying to get these things to. And sometimes it's emotional. It, it, there's no tool, no training, nothing that will fix what's going on with them. And so to be empathetic um, gives you the ability to go, okay, how can we make this better for you?
0: Number three, what is the number one non-negotiable skill that you expect from everyone that you hire?
1: uh, Non-universal skill, teamwork. So so when uh, young technologists come to me and they say, hey, should I be learning this framework? Should I be learning this new language? Should I I be looking at AI and all the stuff that's going on with cloud and all that kind of stuff? What's going to make me succeed? I tell them the number one skill that you can have for me is learning how to speak in front of a group of people. So if you've got to go to Toastmasters, if you've got to, you know, if you've got to go to brown bags where you're allowed to talk about something that you're passionate about, please do that. Because my job is to build teams that are high performing and are working together. And if you can't communicate about what you know, you could be the smartest person in the room. But if you can't communicate about it, you're not really useful for me. And so, you know, that's the skill where through that communication of what you're trying to do then builds the team, because then we're all moving in the same direction and it is the team. And and just a short story here, you know, when I started doing computer software way back when, where, you know, if your computer had 64 K of memory, that was a big computer. Um, You could have a single developer do some pretty interesting things you know there's there's these heroes of the old days these cowboys we called them that could really change the world by creating this this single application you know and i i think that um you know zuckerberg tends to try to keep that sort of alive with what he did with facebook originally but now i have hundreds of people working on a single project and there, are no, there is no way currently, especially if you study Agile um, and, and Scrum or, or other ways of doing that in particular, it's all about what can the team accomplish, not what can the individual accomplish. And so it's really important because we had just a few years ago, this manifesto that came out from a Google engineer who was saying that men are better at computer programming than women. And he had this whole long list of things as to why. And it was a lot of controversy, but the core of it for me was he was saying that, you know, it's all about the individual. It's that single superhuman developer who happens to be a man because he's got special chromosomes or something. I have no idea Um, that that we should be concentrating on supporting. But then he left out the whole part about teamwork. And so for me, that whoever he was, I would have canned right there. I don't know actually what happened with him. (laughs) But if you're saying it's all about us supporting you because you're so special, as opposed to us supporting the entire team of which you are a member of, then you probably don't belong in modern software development.
0: Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this has been a really special episode. I think you've been amazing throughout in terms of what you've shared with us. I love hearing about what the, the, the folks at PNC are doing and adapting after that 176 year uh, history to, to meet the demands of a very fast changing technology and fire, fintech industry as well. So thanks for everything you've shared. Really appreciate it. And I can't wait to continue connecting. Uh, really in in future pre- as absolute well. pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dellenbank, and today's episode was brought to you by Strategia.